career chinwags for the 21st century. My name's Catherine Cunningham and I'm a career specialist who's worked with thousands of people by now. And so what I'm trying to do in this podcast series is tap into things that I've learned, things that I've come to understand over the years to help people better manage their careers and be happier at work. So I want to talk first about MBTI. I love it. It's my favorite work. And if I'm, if I'm working with somebody who's not happy at work and they only have one hour to work with me, I always recommend MBTI because if you can uncover your hardwired preferences rather than learned behavior or learned skills, you can use that information to decide what sort of work to do. So, for example, when I was at the bank, my spreadsheets were basically full of errors because I don't have natural attention to detail. Now, since then, I've learned attention to detail. Anybody who works with me on resumes gets pretty amazed at everything I spot. So, yes, I can have attention to detail, but do I want to be in a job all day where I have to absolutely focus on the task at hand and notice every slight little issue? I can tell you no. So where does it come from? I want to give you a little bit of theory before we start. I'm going to look at the four separate letters, M-B-T-I, one at a time, and that will help you understand it. And I'm going to start at the back. So the I stands for indicator. MBTI is not a test. So if you go online and do one of those free versions, it's pretty well a waste of time. It is only an indicator. As an accredited practitioner, I'm bound by the ethics to only ever deliver the assessment with the debrief. Many times people think when they do the assessment that they're, for example, an ENTP, and it's only when you properly explore hardwired preferences in the debrief that they may, for example, come to understand they're not an extrovert, that was learned behaviour, they're actually fundamentally an introvert. So it's an indicator, not a test. The next letter I want to look at is the T. The T stands for type. And there's two issues to look at here. The first one is there are 16 types or 16 possibilities. And that is both the strength and weakness of MBTI. The strength is, from a career perspective, when people get their profile, it's like this aha light bulb moment. Often the comment is, I cannot believe this is so right. The level of detail, however, means that they forget their profile. So if I rang somebody up a year later and said, look, what's your profile? They'll probably get it wrong. For our career purposes, that doesn't matter. All we're trying to do with MBTI is stop for a minute in time, have a think about hardwired preferences, and use that information to make career decisions. And the other aspect of type is it's not tray or trait theory. So many instruments will measure you on a continuum. They'll say you're more like this than a particular cohort or less like this. As soon as you do Myers-Briggs, you will notice that it essentially forces you into one camp or the other. Now, Myers-Briggs is based on Carl Jung's work, and apparently Carl Jung said, of course, none of us are 100% introvert or 100% extrovert, for example, but you will notice it essentially wants you to come down on one side versus the other. And the final letters are MB, and they stand for Myers-Briggs. And it was a mother-daughter combination. Catherine Briggs started in the 1920s, building on Carl Jung's work. He knew of her work. She was the first person who wanted to have a mainstream application of his work. 
It was really the first time in the world that anybody tried to use personality preferences to help people make career decisions. Because before that, fundamentally, you did what your father did, because of course back then it was mainly men working. You did what your father did, or your career choices were extremely class-driven. Okay, let's move on to the label issue. Some people don't like MBTI because they think it labels them. Yes, it obviously does. A useful analogy, however, might be if you think about your favourite room in the house. So my favourite room in the house is my bedroom. I do a lot of work on my bed. It looks out on a garden. I love the connection with the garden. My least favourite room in the house is the laundry. If you look at MBTI, the bedroom is really where you are most comfortable, where you are most in the flow, in the zone. MBTI does not mean you don't change your behaviour. So yes, of course, I go into the laundry. I don't like the laundry. I find it quite soul-destroying, but I go into the laundry. And probably from a work point of view, the example would be me working on resumes and making sure I dot the I's and cross the T's. I don't really want to do that all day but I quite happily and skillfully go into that laundry. At a minimum, somebody talked to me about this a while ago, and it's always stuck with me. At a minimum, you could argue that those 16 types are just a description of behavior preferences, and that that's no different than the DSM-5, which is the uh, American Psychiatric Association's description of mental disorders. If you've ever looked at that, they will have a series of behaviors that they put underneath a label. The label might be, borderline personality disorder, and underneath they'll have a series of behaviours. So you could argue at a minimum MBTI is no different than that. It's a useful catch-all of behaviours that are put under a label. And finally, if you're really sceptical, there's a guy called Dr. Dario Nardi, wonderful guy. I went to one of his conferences in Brisbane a few years ago. And since 2006, he's focused on hands-on brain research. He uses real-time EEG technology to establish the link between the parts of the brain that light up when somebody's in the zone or in the flow doing an activity that matches with their MBTI preferences. If you just Google him, he has lots of information, interesting content and videos. And at the moment, he's producing content for a new book and he's slowly releasing it on LinkedIn. I had a look at his work on ENTP, which is my profile, and I found it even more fascinating. So perhaps explore that as well. Okay, let's get started. Today I'm going to talk to you about INTJ. As always, some bits that I talk about are going to be deep and detailed, others are going to be short, sharp and shiny, and I just end with something quite light-hearted. So, what are INTJs like? They are original, independent, and driven. They have a calm exterior, but underneath they're developing their internal ideas. INTJs have a clear vision of future possibilities, together with the drive and organisation to implement their ideas. Before I go on about INTJs, though, Let's go back to a quick explanation, very shallow explanation, of the four letters. INTJ stands for introverted, intuitive, thinking and judging. Introverted indicates a person who is energised by time alone. Intuitors are the sorts of people who focus on ideas and concepts 
rather than facts and details. Thinkers make decisions based on analysis and reason rather than feelings and values. And finally, judging people tend to prefer to be planned and organised rather than spontaneous and flexible. When it comes to statistics, INTJs are the third rarest type. They make up only 1% of women, 3% of men, making up a total of 2% of the total population. INTJs are one of two types with the highest college GPA. They're the least likely of all types to believe in a higher spiritual power. They're among types with highest income, and they are among the least likely to suffer heart disease and cardiac problems. They're overrepresented in MBA students, and interestingly, female small business owners. The core of an INTJ is that they are likely to be insightful, creative synthesizers. They are clear and concise communicators. They're rational, detached, and objectively critical. They're independent, conceptual thinkers, and they are very selective about their relationships. Famous INTJs include Hillary Clinton, Al Gore, Jane Austen, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Bill Gates, Dwight Eisenhower, Stephen Hawking, John Maynard Keynes, Lewis Carroll, and Sir Isaac Newton. I'm, of course, interested in where each type finds career satisfactions. There's a great book called Do What You Are by Tiger and Barron, which goes into a lot of detail. I'm only going to choose five of the ten elements that they consider are important for an INTJ to be happy at work. Career satisfaction to an INTJ means doing work that gives them credit for their original ideas and lets them maintain authorship and control over their execution. The work needs to allow them to work independently but with periodic interaction with a small group of intellectual people within a smooth running environment. The work needs to let them create and develop original and innovative solutions to improve existing systems. The work needs to expose them to a steady stream of new information, providing them with new ways to increase their proficiency and competence. And finally, the work needs to let them produce a product that meets with their own high standards rather than with the likes or dislikes of others. INTJs attractive to others. On Quora, there's a great group of MBTI aficionados, and every time I look at their content, I'm gobsmacked at how deep their insight is. And this is taken from this group. INTJs are attractive to others because of their quiet intensity, the depth of their perceptions and insights, the accuracy of their projections about the future, their high moral integrity, their dry and sarcastic sense of humour their creativity, their inner complexity, their blunt honesty, their unwillingness to waver from their sense of integrity, their unquestioning loyalty for those who have earned it, their ability to think outside the box in order to solve problems in creative ways, their willingness to march to the beat of their own drum, and the secret and carefully hidden pure idealist that exists within them. The other thing I like to do when I explain about each of the MBTI types is go to a book called Working Together by Isaacson and Behrens. It's more for executive coaching. What it does is it looks at each of the types, 
talks about their preferred behaviour in the workplace and then talks about the implications of that behaviour on others around them. I'm not going to talk about the implications. I'm just going to look at each section. It's a very detailed chapter again. And I'm just going to select one or two elements from each section. Starting with management style, the fiercely independent INTJ prefers autonomy and expects others to act autonomously and independently to implement the outline plan. INTJs tend to have a real sense of urgency, especially when learning and implementing new concepts. They are ruthlessly single-minded in their work towards achieving the goal and the relation of boss-subordinate is not as important to them as is being competent, knowledgeable and insightful. Although preferring privacy and autonomy, INTJs can be team players if that's what it takes to get the job done, for the focus is on efficiency. And that's the same as my ENTP profile. Certainly rings true for me. When it comes to their values, INTJs value the theoretical. They seek insight and understanding, comprehension, knowledge, genius and precision. They also prefer communication which is precise, to the point and not superfluous. INTJs abhor a lack of willpower. When it comes to their attitude, the basic attitude is one of scepticism. Whilst INTJs are open to new ideas, they may be doubtful of their validity and utility until proven otherwise. INTJs find confusions fascinating and insist upon clarity. They may be driven to seek clarity in the face of extreme ambiguity, or they may block and become paralysed by their view of the whole and all its parts. INTJs are skilled at analysis, seeing differences and creating categories. As strategists, they map out all feasible events well in advance, developing an agenda, a well-thought-out outline and an overall scheme. They build models, usually theoretical models, solve complex problems, enigmas and riddles. Their focus is then on translating theories into actualities. What's their driving force? The INTJ has a very high need for achievement. However, the achievement is most often measured by standards set by the INTJ, not by society or the organisation. And their energy direction, given these skills, values and attitudes, the INTJs direct their energy towards acquisition of knowledge, competencies and implementation of their vision of how things can be. Tireless in their work, they drive themselves and others to achieve the organisation's goals. When it comes to authority, INTJs want the person in charge to be knowledgeable and competent. Authority is not granted by position. They will question authority and test it, especially in their own area of expertise. Reporting to someone less competent than they are becomes difficult and over time can produce cynicism, sarcasm and disassociation. Conflict resolution. No surprises, INTJs enjoy a penetrating and lively debate. They may be quite outspoken, yet the typical INTJ prefers an atmosphere of calm and self-control. Typically, conflicts are to be resolved logically and rationally, and emotionalism avoided. And to finish off, what are their blind spots and pitfalls? INTJs may overlook the human element in the drive for action that will achieve the goal. They are frequently so task-oriented and single-minded 
that they may not realise the impact of their ideas and plans on others. They can be bitingly critical and sarcastic and may be seen as cold, distant and unapproachable. Wow, that's a depressing note to finish on. Let's move to something a little bit more light-hearted. Coming back to that Quora group, what is an INTJ likely to be like if they like you? INTJs are unlikely to flirt, put themselves out there or put on a show. Instead, they would rather be their authentic selves and believe that should be enough. They may find ways to spend more time around you, like going out to activities they usually wouldn't. Others, if more confident, would let you know directly that they like you as a means of not wasting time, but generally it can take them a while to be sure about their feelings for you. Many INTJs can often become more argumentative or critical when they like you. However, you may get the suspicion that they disagree with you less than they do with others. You may also occasionally catch them looking at you when they think you're not paying attention. Where to from here? I think the start is to try and work out which of the 16 profiles essentially resonates with you. You need the session with an accredited person to help you uncover whether your behaviour is actually a result of your hardwired preferences or whether your behaviour is a result of how you were brought up or life choices that you have made. And I always use the example of me brought up a very strict Catholic or very strong Catholic, I should say, So from a very early age, I was taught to think of other people. That often means my default behaviour is as a feeler, but there's no doubt that my default preference is a thinker. I quite like the MBTI Step to Interpretive Report because those anomalies will show up in that report. We use it as career specialists. Many, and I'd argue most good career specialists around the Western world, use MBTI to help people make good career choices. Because if you can uncover your hardwired preferences, you can see what the match is like with the proposed job or field of work that you're thinking of. I love it just in general life, and my poor husband gets used all the time as an example. He's an ISTJ, I'm an ENTP. We're best friends, and we get closer and closer each year, but I can remember the first time I went shopping with him. And being a sensor, he's very methodical and, I would argue as an intuitor, too slow doing the grocery shopping. Rather than judge him and and rather than be annoyed by it, because I understand Myers-Briggs pretty well, I was able to just think, okay, well, that's a typical approach for a sensor. And so what I do is I just make sure I don't shop with him. I either send him off on his own or I go and do something else and we meet for a coffee afterwards. So I think if you know your own profile and if you understand about MBTI, it can help you understand and respect others. And I just think that's so valuable. Thanks for listening. I'm slowly making my way through the 16 MBTI profiles. Next time, I'm probably going to go back to a mainstream podcast. I'm not sure yet. As always, there's show notes on the website, which is careerconsult.com.au. And for those of you who are interested in, I guess, being happier at work, I do a fortnightly mail out. It might be a podcast, it might be a video, it might be a graphic, it might be a blog. You can find a sign-up form on the website or just email us at admin at careerconsult.com.au and we'll get you going. As always... 
I'll finish with my hashtag, which I still love and I still think it's a fantastic hashtag. Hashtag, why not be happy at work?